You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead. Hey, this is Reese Olson, and the Road to Detroit podcast starts now. Here's your host, Dan Hasty. We are now at a critical point. A critical point of this season. Especially... If you're a Tigers minor league player, last chance. This is the last chance for any player to dictate how their season ends. You probably know that we play baseball for about five calendar months, give or take a week or two. And you would be amazed if you knew how much this time of year meant. We live in this culture of what have you done for me lately? And we always have to remind ourselves to step back, to look at things with a long-term perspective. We remind ourselves that player development is not linear. There are ups, there are downs. But if you're a player, you're going to go into the offseason feeling like your season either went well or did not go well based on how you do at the very end of the season. What did your last start look like? What did your last two, three, four starts look like? If you're a hitter, a position player, how did you hit in September? You have to carry that into seven months of an offseason. The way the calendar is set up, these guys are not playing baseball in competitive game action just as much as they are. And whatever they're doing in September they're going to carry into the batting cage, into the bullpen mound, into the off-season drills, into the workouts. Finishing on a high note is exceptionally underrated. For some, that opportunity has passed, and whatever has happened is now the story leading into those particular players' off-seasons. Look at low-A Lakeland, look at high-A West Michigan. All those players, their seasons are over. How did they finish? Did they finish on a high note? We'll find out in just a little bit. For some other teams, there is still some left to be decided. Opinions of an entire season can change based on how you finish the year. Because if nothing else, let's pretend the first three, four months of the season didn't go the way they wanted it. But if they finish well, if nothing else, it's the template for how it can be fixed next season. Double A Erie, they still have baseball games left to play. They might have a postseason to play. Triple A Toledo, they've had a good season. They've got a couple of more weeks. But this is your last chance. The clock is ticking. And if you're lucky enough, and if you're at one of the advanced levels of the minor league system, you have a chance to finish on a high note. That's what this episode's going to be about. Finishing on a high note. We're coming down the home stretch of this season of this podcast. 
it doesn't end with players. We want to finish on a high note for you as well. That's our goal. And it's probably good that our baseball season is over. So now we can continue to work on stuff like this. We can dedicate more time to something like this. But it's like that for us too. We think about the last few shows that we did. And it dictates to us how things went for our show. It's like anything. Boils down to one question. It doesn't matter if you're a baseball player, if you're not. Have you been killing it at your job lately? That's what it boils down to. We're going to talk about some people this week who have been killing it at their jobs lately. One of them is Reese Olsen, the Tigers' number nine prospect, currently playing with the AA Erie Seawolves. He just set the Erie Seawolves franchise strikeout record. And while that is a huge accomplishment, Reese tells us that some of the other numbers he's had this season have not been where he's wanted to get them. So we look at what he's liked, we looked at what he's working on, and we look at what he can do to affect change going into the final couple of weeks of the season and potentially a playoff run for the Seawolves. This episode, we get Reese's Pieces here on the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. Pieces of what? I don't know. But that's our producer, Nate Wangler. I'm Dan Hasty. Thanks for joining us here on RTD. We've got a lot to talk about here on RTD this week because, look, not only is it Reese Olsen, but... We're in this weird pocket that Major League Baseball has given us. The A-level teams, high A, low A, West Michigan, Lakeland, those teams are done. So those seasons are over. So from this point on, we're going to focus this show almost exclusively on what's going on at the higher levels of the minor leagues. We're going to focus on Toledo. We're going to focus on Erie. We'll keep them crossed that there's a playoff run for Erie in the near future. The Seawolves are in quite the fight. But we'll run down everything in the minor league system coming up in just a little bit. But for now, let's get to the news. So you may have missed this, but Major League Baseball made an interesting announcement this week. And it's something that's become a little bit of a trend. Minor League Baseball has sort of been the experimental playground for Major League Baseball. They've wanted to see how rules and changes to the game will work within the minors before bringing things up to the major leagues. Nowhere was this more evident than a couple of years ago when they started putting a runner at second base in extra innings. And we got a chance to see how the game looked with a runner at second and how it changed the length of games. Did it necessarily pick up the pace of games? No, it did not. But gone were the days of five-hour baseball games, of 16-inning baseball games. And look, those still happen. Don't get it twisted. That's still something that happens but it reduces the chances of those things taking place. If anything, it just makes it more rare now than it was before. But this year, they started doing a couple more things differently. They instituted a pitch clock. Now, when pitchers get the baseball, they've got to let it go in a certain amount of time, somewhere around the neighborhood of 20 seconds. They made the bases bigger. And having watched a full minor league season, we saw more baseballs hit bases this season than any year before. So much so that I think infielders actually had to get used to the idea of playing or expecting to play a carom. And last but not least, the banning of the extreme defensive shifts. The rule for this season had stated you needed two infielders with their feet on the dirt and they had to be on different sides of the second base bag. 
So you couldn't necessarily put three infielders on one side or four infielders on one side, which is something I saw a couple of teams do. Couldn't do that anymore. But now those changes, those things we just told you about, those are headed to Comerica Park and to a major league ballpark near you. They tried them out in the minor leagues this year, and I'll admit, I was skeptical. I didn't know exactly how that would look at first. I was skeptical, and I am happy to admit that I was wrong. Things change over time. This is a Bayesian process. We don't always keep our opinions that we had at the very beginning and get stuck on those forever and ever. We get new information. Opinions change. But what we noticed especially was the difference with the pitch clock. We used to see games in the minor leagues of three-plus hours, 310, 315, 320. And look, when you go to a baseball game, you know you're seeing a sport that has a different flow than, say, basketball, hockey, or football. But even then, there's a tolerance for what kind of flow that is. This season, we saw games as fast as an hour and 51 minutes, a nine-inning game. Now, is every game going to look like that? No. But comfortably, the majority of baseball games at the minor league level that we saw this year were played in roughly two and a half hours. And as the season went on, pitchers started to take more liberties with the step-offs that they were allowed. Hitters took more liberties with calling time at home plate. We just had Josh Crouch on the show last week. And he used timeouts like Bill Belichick in a Super Bowl. Like he was using them every opportunity he had strategically in volume and in frequency. But even then, not everybody used them. Not every pitcher stepped off. Not every hitter stepped out. The game sped up. There was a transition period, but guys figured it out. Like anything else, they adapted. And now having watched it for a full season... I think it's going to be a phenomenal change for Major League Baseball. Nate Wangler's our producer. He's also in the broadcast booth in West Michigan. What was your take on the pitch clock? In my mind, there were two goals intended with some of the changes that were made in Minor League Baseball this year. Number one, cut down on game times. The average length of a nine-inning game in Minor League Baseball was cut nearly by 26 minutes or thereabouts. Not only that, but on the other side of things, so not just making games shorter, on the other side, how can they create more action? How can they create more offense, more plays at the plate, more plays at second, more plays at third? And those moments where the crowd gets the loudest, where it is the most exciting, where maybe we can get a fringe fan more involved. And one of the other stats that I thought really stuck out about the pitch clock and the step-off rules was the fact that we saw more stolen bases. We saw more attempted stolen bases. And overall, I think we just saw more action in terms of offense in general. I think the pitch clock is one of the best things to happen to minor league baseball for several different reasons, and it did exactly what it was intended to do, and that was shorten games and create action that happens quicker and something you don't have to wait as long for. I was a huge fan of the pitch clock. I didn't realize we were going to dedicate what's turned into a specialty segment just to talk about this, but this is a huge change for Major League Baseball. 
And I don't think they would be making that change if they weren't pleased with the results that they saw at the minor league level. And I don't think it's the last time we're going to see minor league baseball used as an experimental playground to see about other ways that they can affect the game. Quite frankly, I wouldn't be surprised within the next couple of years if minor league baseball saw a universal use of robo-umpires and robo-strike zones, to be specific, and robo-cops outside the (laughs) ballpark. (laughs) Maybe not. Okay. So, but you get the idea. I, I think we're going to see more changes, and I don't think it stops at a pitch clock or bigger bases or a shift ban. But you heard from Nate, having watched it, I think we're going to really enjoy seeing it play out at the major league level. Let's keep things moving. Speaking of the major league level, I feel like they're sort of part of this show, even though they're in the major leagues. I don't know. Maybe the government doesn't want you to know that Riley Green has hit nearly 300 in the month of September, and Spencer Torkelson is nine for his last 22 this month. He's got a batting average over 400. He's got an on-base percentage near 500. We saw this play out in many levels he played at at the minor league level in 2021. A very slow start, followed by an outstanding finish. Happened in West Michigan, his first stop, got him promoted. Happened in Erie, got off to a slow start, figured it out, got promoted. In Toledo, he only hit about 220. So he was still kind of fighting his way out. But right before the end of the season, He was starting to have things click in. That's why he got the opportunity to be the opening day first baseman in Detroit. But I encourage you, go look at what Spencer Torkelson has done this month. Because few players in the Detroit Tigers organization, not just minor leagues, are more important than Spencer Torkelson. Just go look at the offense that the Tigers have posted the last week or so. They're actually scoring runs again. And a big reason for that is Spencer Torkelson. They're also figuring out that maybe they have something long-term in Kerry Carpenter. Ryan Kreidler has been having some success. This is the time to figure that out. This is the time to figure out whether or not some of these guys have a chance to stick and to be a part of what goes into 2023. But we know Riley Green. We know Spencer Torkelson are going to be a part of those plans going into next season. So what they do matters quite a lot. Now let's go into the minor league system. So the Tigers made an interesting move last week. They actually claimed a minor leaguer off of waivers. Luis Garcia, a Philadelphia Phillies prospect, was claimed by the Tigers and assigned to double-A Erie. Luis Garcia immediately slotted in as a Tigers top 30 prospect. Why? Because Luis Garcia was the number 14 prospect for the Phillies. It's not every day where you can just go claim some team's top 15 prospect and put him in your minor league system. I was really happy to see the Tigers make a claim like this. And the thing about him is that he's still just 21 years old. How many players have we talked about this year on the show that we've talked about the Tigers resuscitating their minor league careers? Parker Meadows, Wenzel Perez, Kerry Carpenter, who was actually playing pretty well, but has taken it to another level this year. All those guys, right around that same age. Parker Meadows is 22. Wenzel Perez is 22. The past year 
has changed everything about their minor league and professional trajectories. Maybe they're seeing something similar with somebody like Luis Garcia, who, by the way, made his stateside debut back in 2018 as a 17-year-old. Riley Green made his professional debut at 18 years old. This guy was playing in the Gulf Coast League as a 17-year-old, and he won the GCL batting title. He hit 369 with an on-base over 430. And he was doing it at 17 years old. He was three years younger than most of the youngest players in that league. Not only was he a number 14 Phillies prospect, once upon a time, and you don't have to go back that far, he was a top 100 prospect in Major League Baseball. Baseball America had him ranked as the number 88 prospect in the game in 2019. He was actually the Philadelphia Phillies' number two prospect. So what does that mean? Well, it simply means that the tools are there. But as we know, player development, it's not linear. He went from hitting 369 the next year as an 18-year-old in class low A, hitting 186. But again, he was 18 years old. That's a hard level. He was, on average, four years younger than the players he was going up against. And he was considered one of the top prospects in the international signing class when he came out, 2017, 2018, he got a reported $2.5 million to sign with the Phillies and immediately made his pro debut stateside. There was no special summer league. He came right over to the States and started to produce. But those numbers have not looked like that since that time. And that's why he was available for someone like the Tigers to take him. Since that time the best year he's ever had came in 2021. He had a 246 batting average. He drew some walks, a 356 on base, showed a little power, 11 homers, 42 RBIs, and he did it in 87 games. This year, the struggles from the offensive side continued. I don't know how much we're going to be able to get a read on Garcia through the last, what, 10 days of the Erie season. So far, He's been hitless in his first seven at-bats in three games, but he's also walked five times. He's got more walks than strikeouts. And much like Parker Meadows and much like Wenzel Perez, Kerry Carpenter, I'd really like to see what Garcia looks like after getting in the room with some of those guys in Tigers player development, the same guys who were working on those guys we just mentioned, and see if they can find a way to figure out how to unlock somebody like a Luis Garcia. He now slots in as the Detroit Tigers' number 24 prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. That's a look at the news in the Tigers' system. Let's hit the on-ramp. Let's go to the final week of the regular season for Low A Lakeland. They concluded the 2022 campaign winning two out of six, so they were two and four against Jupiter. Can I just say, it is stunning to me the work that Andrew Graham and that coaching staff did at the low A level this year. Think about all the young players that they had. They had guys who were one, two, three years younger than most of their competitors in the league. Roberto Campos comes to mind. Jackson Job, Isaac Pacheco, Christian Santana, Manny Sequeira. That was the youngest team in that league by far, and these guys had a winning record. Truth be told, they had no business having a winning record this year. 
But that just goes to show what a great job that that coaching staff has done in Lakeland this year. Props to Andrew Graham. Lakeland ended up going 66-64 and this year. They would have had an even higher win-loss record. but They ended up losing the final four games of the season. Many of those Lakeland guys are now in West Michigan. But who's still in Lakeland? Well, Dom Johnson is. He ended up hitting his first professional home run. He drove in four runs over the week. He was a 13th round pick a couple of months ago in this year's MLB draft. Big time speed. Excited to see him work his way up the ladder. Speaking of which, Roberto Campos. He ended up with a bit of a quiet finish to his season. We talked about this being the last chance to set the tone. Well, Roberto Campos is going to go into the offseason with a little chip on his shoulder. He was one for nine against Jupiter. Meanwhile, Peyton Graham, well, finished the last series of his first professional season, six for 23, had a triple, a homer, and four runs batted in. He ends up finishing with a batting average around 270 in his first professional season. Not bad. That was going to be a question about Peyton Graham was what kind of batting average would he hit for and would he be able to unlock the power-speed combo that he has? Well, if he hits around 270, he's going to be just fine. Let's go to high A West Michigan. Well, you want to talk about finishing on a high note? I'd say West Michigan did that and then some. They were chasing a team in front of them in the Midwest League's second-half playoff race. They entered the week down two games without the tiebreaker. So essentially, they needed to make up three games. And the scenario that they went into, they ended up winning three out of the first four games against the first place in the first half, Great Lakes Loon Squad. And they went into what ended up being the final game of their regular season. We just didn't know it. They ended up going into the final game of that regular season with a scenario where they needed to win and the team in front of them, Lake County, that's a Cleveland Guardians affiliate, needed to lose. Well, we found out just a few minutes before the end of the ball game when West Michigan was losing 4 to nothing, that Lake County had won their ball game and West Michigan was officially mathematically eliminated. But guess what? That message never made it down to West Michigan's dugout. And ironically, West Michigan, who erased a four-run deficit on opening night to start this 2022 season, ended up finishing exactly the way they started, trailing 4 nothing in the ninth inning. A bases-loaded walk to Austin Murr gave the Whitecaps a chance with the bases loaded, two outs, and a one-ball, two-strike count to Ben Mulgeri. They're down to their final strike. This one to right center. It's sinking. Two outfielders dive, and nobody comes up with it. Halton scores. Pacheco scores. Murr is across the plate. And to third goes Ben Malcheri. Down to their final strike. The Whitecaps refusing to quit. We're tied at four. That was absolute pandemonium in West Michigan. They had almost 7,500 fans at that particular ball game. And Nate, you were there as well. You said that that was as loud as you've ever heard that ballpark. Yeah, and I think you're right when you said that news never got down to the dugout that game because the way the team came pouring out of the dugout on that play, I thought they were just going to run out there and celebrate anyway. They had only tied the game, but it looked as if we had already won it. And I knew that at that moment, 
we were going to finish that game out. But just what a heroic way to go out. So you heard the way that the game tied. Well, of course, it's 4-4, and they still have to play the remainder of that ball game out. They ended up going to the 10th inning. The Whitecaps ended up loading the bases. It was a little seeing-eye single in the left field by Josh Crouch, who we want to get back to and talk about in just a moment. But later in the inning, nobody out, bases loaded, and West Michigan's RBI leader, Jake Holton, came to the plate. 2-2. Up the middle to short. The throw is coming home. The throw is bobbled. Safe at home is Soretti. And the Whitecaps are a walk-off winner here on Saturday night. They come from behind, down by four in the bottom of the ninth. The resiliency of the 2022 West Michigan Whitecaps on full display here in West Michigan. And that's how the ball game ended. Little did we know, that's how the season ended for West Michigan. They ended up being rained out the next day. But it was chaos on the field. It was an unbelievable way for West Michigan to finish their second half. They ended up going 41-24. and 24. It is amazing to me that that's not a playoff record anymore. Little side note, it would have been in the old construction of minor league baseball season. The way the playoff format used to look, two teams would make it from each half. There'd be a division winner and a wild card. This year, had that format still been in place, West Michigan would be a wild card. But Major League Baseball did away with that format, and now you have to win the division, and that's the only way you make the playoffs. So a team like the Whitecaps, who end up 17 games over 500 in the second half, end up not getting a chance at the postseason. And it was moments after that that Brian Pena, the manager in West Michigan, got word that he was mathematically eliminated. And that's thanks to Nate Wangler, who was able to tell him that. Is that true? Did you actually tell him? Yeah, I was doing my post-game interview with Ben Malgieri when he walked up to me, and uh, I confirmed the news to him. My guess is that maybe there were some others that did know, but even Brian Pena said he didn't care to know until the very end. But yeah, not, not wasn't the greatest news I've ever had to break. But I'm so glad you did. Because what happened next, none of us saw coming. Brian Pena grabbed the microphone of the on-field host, Bob Wells, in West Michigan, who's an institution in West Michigan, by the way. And Brian Pena got on the mic, and we had no idea this was coming. Hey, listen up, guys. Listen up. I just want you guys to know something. This guy right here, come here. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, boys, come on. Come on, everybody, come on, come on, come on. Dino, CJ, Sean, come on. Everybody, come on. T, come on, T. Listen, you guys have to feel so proud, so proud, because your White Cups give you everything they had, everything. They represent you guys with heart, with heart, and to the end. You know what? This is because of you guys. I tell you what, I don't care if I'm going to have a heart attack. I don't care. Because you know what? I salute you guys and I love you.
I would just like to go on the record and say I am glad Brian Pena did not suffer a heart attack during this situation. I was a little worried there for a minute. I think he was, too. It was certainly on the radar. Just stop and breathe for a second. (laughs) Give it a beat. It's funny because we couldn't really hear exactly what he was saying. We just heard a man yelling for a while. It was nice to actually go back and listen to that in its entirety. So they end up finishing winning four out of five against Great Lakes. That's the Dodgers high A affiliate. So there's certainly some similarities and some influence between both of those two organizations. Meanwhile, a couple different players, and there were many that came through West Michigan this season. A Midwest League high 69 total players went through West Michigan this season. And two of them have received a promotion. Carlos Guzman, who finished the year in an outstanding fashion. We talk about finishing on a high note. Carlos Guzman did that and then some. He was voted Whitecaps Pitcher of the Month by his peers on the coaching staff. And he finished tied for second in the league with nine wins. When the calendar turned to July, he was a totally different pitcher. He was arguably the ace of West Michigan staff down the stretch. And we're talking about 50 innings or so where he had an ERA just to tick over two. So he gets promoted. Congratulations to Carlos Guzman. And the one promotion that I think we all saw coming at some point this season also took place. Josh Crouch finally promoted to double-A Erie. There's a need there. Dylan Dingler was placed on the injured list, and I think it was commonly understood that as soon as the Whitecaps were eliminated from their playoff race, Josh Crouch was going to come up and help out at double-A Erie. That's exactly how things happened. He was one of just two West Michigan players with double-digit home runs. He also had 61 runs batted in, and much like Dylan Dingler, was also rated the best defensive catcher in his league in a review among his peers in an article for Baseball America. So congratulations to Josh Crouch. He's on the Road to Detroit podcast one week, and on the next week, he's actually on the Road to Detroit, promoted up to double-A. Meanwhile, a couple of other standouts in West Mish, Justice Bigby, who easily is in consideration for the best name in the Tigers minor league system. Josh Crouch, Justice Bigby, two of the best names in the entire system. He was 6-for-12 last week, had two doubles, including a game-winning home run and two runs batted in. It's amazing we've talked about West Michigan like this, but we haven't mentioned Jackson Job. He gave up just one run through five innings. It was his final start of the season, and he also went out on top. So that one-two is a swing and a miss. One-two-three for Jackson Job in the fourth. It's still one nothing. What a difference a couple of starts can make. I think all the way through his Lakeland experience at Low A, I think Tigers fans felt differently then than they might now. All of a sudden, you can look and see what he did in West Michigan, and you can say, okay, so the Tigers clearly saw something that allowed them to move him to West Michigan, and now the results are starting to finally back it up. And look, is he a finished product? Absolutely not. There were things that I know even Jackson would tell us that he wants to have look better in his starts going forward. But it is hard to argue against three starts and 15 and two-thirds innings with an ERA of 1.15. In those three starts, coming against the best competition that he's faced all year long, those three games will change the narrative that we have about Jackson Job. 
that Tigers fans have about Jackson Job, that prospect evaluators have about Jackson Job going into this offseason. He's the Tigers' number one prospect, and probably because of what he did his last three games, that's why he'll stay that way. Meanwhile, Isaac Pacheco, he ended up with a three-run homer against Great Lakes during the series that actually helped win them a ball game. And Josh Crouch, we mentioned him just a moment ago, 5-for-18 with an RBI before getting the call to Erie. Also, a shout-out to Blake Holub, a right-handed reliever out of St. Edwards. He was a 15th-round pick last year, was actually named the Detroit Tigers Minor League Pitcher of the Month for August, gave up just one run through 10 innings of work, and struck out 18. I think he'll be a big part of West Michigan's team and their bullpen next season. Let's go to Double A Erie. Well, we're still waiting to see if Erie goes out on a high note. They might have a postseason run ahead of them. They ended up winning two out of six against Altoona. They're now tied with Bowie at 38 and 25, but they do hold the tiebreaker, but there are also just six games left to play. So what note will they go out on this season? Ty Madden, he's trying to go out on a high note. He ended up going four innings, gave up two unearned runs, and struck out five. So again, that ERA just continues to go lower and lower for him in double A. It's fun watching these guys have more success the higher they go in the system. Meanwhile, Wilmer Flores, who I think is every bit the candidate to be considered a Detroit Tigers minor league player of the year, He actually gave up seven runs in his last outing. It was only an inning on the mound. It is hard to believe that he's ever had games like that. And then you go look back at his start log, and you realize that he just hasn't had games like that here this season. But Wilmer Flores has had a dynamite year. And if anybody's earned the the understanding that sometimes guys just have an off day, it's probably Wilmer Flores. Parker Meadows, just another solid week at the plate. Nine for 23 Two doubles, three runs driven in this past week. He recorded a base hit in all but one game in September. On the mound, Brendan White out of the bullpen. That's Nate's my guy for this year. (laughs) He ended up going, and he didn't allow an earned run since August 21st. Since that point, White has tossed seven shutout frames with 10 punchouts to just two walks. Nate, are you proud of the way that you've motivated Brendan White this year? I'm extremely proud of how much I've motivated Brendan White. I also miss Brendan White just in general. He's a, he's a comedian, not officially, but he always made the press box laugh every time he was up there charting in West Michigan. So if you're listening, hello, keep rolling. Funny thing is, Brendan actually texts Nate after every appearance out of the bullpen. Did you see me? Did you see this time? Did you see me tonight? Every single time. Reese Olsen, he looked steady against the curve on Thursday. That might not be true. Allowing two unearned runs for Reese Olsen through five innings. Also struck out six and a pair of walks. He's now the Erie Seawolves franchise record holder for strikeouts in a season. And he'll join us coming up momentarily here on the road to Detroit. But before we do that, we'll also name our best in class. We've also got to go to Toledo. The Mudhens won four out of seven against St. Paul. And Jack Lopez gave the folks in Toledo something to smile about. And a shot in the center that will... Oh, it's going to get by. This could be an inside the Parker. This could be an inside the Parker for Jack Lopez. They just now get to the ball. He's going to get the wave. Oh, a good throw is going to get him. The throw is not in time. He missed him. 
That's a long run, folks. 360 feet, over 100 yards around there. Wow, how about that? Listen to the faithful here at Fifth Third Field. And Andre Lipsius, don't you forget about me. He's number 23 on the Tigers' top 30 list. It's easy to forget about what Andre's been this year, but, boy, the numbers are outstanding. And it's hard to argue against what he's done since being promoted to Toledo. When We kind of talked about guys like Kerry Carpenter and getting better the higher you go in the system. Andre Lipsius is hitting over 300 with a 417 on-base percentage in the month of September. He's got a home run, four RBIs, as many walks as strikeouts. And he's also gotten better the higher he's gone in the system this year. In Erie, Lipsy has hit 264 with a 392 on base. That's a great on base, by the way. Meanwhile, in Toledo, 317 with a 400 OBP. The numbers have not fallen off a bit from double to triple A. I would not be surprised in the slightest if we saw Andre Lipsius wearing a Tigers uniform before this season comes to an end. And certainly would not be surprised if we saw it in 2023. That's a look at Toledo. Coming up in just a moment, we'll talk with Reese Olson. But first, it's now time to take a look at everything that's happened in the Tigers minor league system and tell you who's made the most noise. It's this week's Best in Class. We've been talking a lot about finishing on a high note during this episode. And nowhere has that been more prevalent than with the Tigers' top prospect. You know, we almost went the entire season with Jackson Job and the Tigers' top prospect never winning one of these awards. And we talked about it. We said, well, we don't ever want to give it to somebody who's not deserving. And Jackson Job, the last three starts, has made himself deserving. He's finally putting up the numbers that you me, and everybody knew he was capable of putting up. And here's the crazy part. There's still so many things he's going to work on cleaning up in the offseason. I don't think we understood just how raw of a project Jackson Job truly was. And Josh Crouch told us last week on this podcast that the slider that Job throws is not just his best pitch and not just a great pitch. He called it, and I quote, the best slider I've ever caught in baseball. There are still a lot of things that he'll be working on to do better for next season. And nothing's going to come easy to him next year, presumably as he starts next year back in West Michigan. But he held opponents to a 175 batting average. His walks plus hits per inning were under one. And he finishes with a 2-0 record and a 1.15 ERA. This past week alone, and this is why he gets it this week as opposed to the week before. You might say, well, he actually had better numbers last week. Well, yeah, sure, that's that's technically correct. But the team he went up against this past week versus the one in his previous start, night and day differences. The players he went up against this past week included some of the Los Angeles Dodgers' top prospects, including a top 100 overall prospect, Diego Cartaya, a great Dodger prospect, as a catcher and Jackson Job held that entire team. One of the best teams in that league to one run on two hits with one walk in five innings while striking out four, got his fastball up to 97 miles per hour, struck out all four of those hitters with swinging third strikes. And now after what I'm sure has been a frustrating season at times for Jackson Job, 
he can rest easy knowing that he competed and excelled during those last three starts, some high leverage starts to finish out 2022. He's this week's best in class. Boy, I'm looking over at our producer, Nate Wangler, and the table next to him. There's not very many Rosas for him to give out. We only have so many left here on the RTD this season. Nate, how many Rosas are you giving out this week? Well, I actually brought an extra one with me today, so we are Ah, giving out two Rosas. We actually talked about the first recipient already, and that's Brendan White. Very quietly, he's put together a dominant season, and I almost feel bad that we haven't talked about him enough on this show so far this year. Six and five, a 249 ERA a walks plus hits per inning pitched of 091 this year for Brendan White. Again, we already mentioned some of the numbers, but this past week against Altoona, he was outstanding. Four and a third, one run, none earned, four strikeouts for Brendan White over that stretch. He's been steady. He's been a consistent force in that bullpen. And again, when we talk about dominant sliders, it goes Jackson Job, And I think number two on that list, in my mind, is Brendan White. Now, the other individual receiving a Rosa today, every time you make a postseason push or you're trying to get into the playoffs or you're trying to pull something off like a championship, I feel as if you need a dark horse, maybe someone who's unexpected that comes out and performs out of their mind to give you that extra boost, that extra juice that you need to not only get into the playoffs but make something special happen. If we did end up making it to the playoffs, if there was one event I would point at this last week that was kind of the pendulum or the swinging moment or the defining moment, it would be Justice Bigby's go-ahead home run against the Loons that helped spur the Whitecaps onto the victory when he got to round the bases with nobody on the base paths. On top of that, we can just take a look at his numbers from that series. He came in clutch for West Michigan on offense, batted 500 Six for 12 with two doubles, including that go-ahead home run and two RBIs. His performance really came out of nowhere, but I thought if we did end up making it, that was going to be the defining moment. So Justice Bigby and Brendan White co-winners on this week's Rosa. Nate just named Brendan White his my guy last week, and this week he's giving him awards. Surprise, surprise. Nate, that is (laughs) next-level marketing by you. Thank you. That's a look at this week's best in class. Next up, our conversation with Tigers top 10 prospect Reese Olsen, who's enjoying his best year in professional baseball and his highest strikeout rate of his entire career. How's he doing it? Well, we find out next here on the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Road to Detroit podcast rolls on. He is the brand new Erie Seawolves all-time strikeout king. He broke the franchise record in a single season. In his last start, he's the Tigers' number nine prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, Reese Olsen. Welcome back to the pod. Talk to me. 
Thank you for having me on, Dan. It's good to be back. It's good to hear from you. It's good to see you again. And, you know, the last time we heard from you on this podcast, you had been traded just days earlier. He went from the Milwaukee Brewers to the Tigers at last year's trade deadline in exchange for Daniel Norris a year ago. It would have been completely reasonable for you not to know the answer to this question, but I feel like you can explain it better now. How would you explain what it's like getting traded midseason? I mean, I don't really know if I can put it into words. It was, I mean, it was crazy. Just the ride over, not really knowing what to expect when I drove over from Wisconsin to, to West Michigan and then getting there and having to meet a whole new team, a whole new front office, whole new organization. I mean, it's pretty much, it was, I mean, it's been a wild ride, but I'm thankful for, for the trade and how it went down and uh, thankful to be a Tiger now. I'm sure it's probably helpful when Erie gets somebody who was not in the Tigers organization, whether they get signed as a minor league free agent, whether they get claimed on waivers, or whether somebody gets acquired in a trade. I think about one of your teammates, Sawyer Gibson Long, who got traded from Minnesota over to the Tigers, and he's now part of that rotation you guys have in Erie. What advice can you offer to somebody who falls into that similar situation that you encountered a year ago? Right, and it, it kind of helps Sawyer also being from Georgia. Um, so we kind of have that little connection to start. But, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, a tough, it's a tough thing to walk into, but I think, I think Sawyer, like myself, is thankful for it happening and just knowing that an organization wants you and sees you as something, uh, something of value and then just, just getting you over in a trade is, is very big. When you are acquired, when you are brought over, in a deal like that, whether it be someone like Sawyer or somebody like yourself, I'm sure you you look on paper and you say, okay, so they've made me a priority. How have they made you feel that way? Right. I mean, I don't know if, if they actually treat you any different than, than another player, but just knowing that you're traded, Sawyer and, and myself being traded one for one for a major leaguer is, I mean, you have to know that the Tigers, they see something in you. And they, they, want, they want you and their organization to develop and, and contribute to their major league team. What's it like talking to friends and family members when all of a sudden they look down at their phones or they're on their laptops and they see, oh, th- this guy I'm friends with or this person who's in my family is now making national news because of a trade he's in. How have you navigated or how did you navigate those conversations? It's kind of hard to explain it to them because they just see the trade go down and they're just like, okay, now he's playing for a different team. I guess it's yeah to explain to them everything else that goes on behind the scenes. But yeah, I mean, they they're all very happy for me and I'm grateful to have them in my corner as well and supporting me through the through the transition. And now with my year, a little bit over a year with the Tigers, um, they're all Tigers fans now, so it's good. I want to talk about this 2022 season, but you know when you were acquired you went from one system to another major league system, and then you went from one team in that new system to another new team. You made two starts in high A West Michigan, and then you were on your way to double A. So it begs the question, from the moment you were traded, the moments that came after that, your eventual promotion to double A, how long exactly did it take you to get settled? You know, the big thing was leaving all my friends that I made with the Brewers organization for those three or four years that I was there and then getting traded over and um, going over to West Michigan for two weeks and starting to, to form some friendships over there and then immediately getting trade or getting called up to double A. And it was just 
it was just kind of a whirlwind, a whirlwind meeting all the new guys and forming forming some friendships. But then getting up to uh, getting up to Erie and and then now um, the guys that I became really good friends with, seeing them make their debut this year, it's been great. Reese, newly 23 years old, celebrated a birthday a little over a month ago. And, you know, even at just 23 years old, you have been in professional baseball for a little while. You got drafted back in 2018 by the Brewers out of high school, 13th round. And, you know, you've had time to learn the life that has been professional baseball. You didn't do the college route. If you could do it over, would you do it again? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very happy with the decision I made. Being able to experience pro ball and getting comfortable and in pro ball and learning what what a season looks like, what an off season looks like, I think I made the right decision, and I'm happy I did. You've now had a full year plus in the Tiger system. In what areas do you feel like you've gotten stronger? Just getting a little bit older and working with the new guys the Tigers have brought in. Um, my command, I, I haven't walked in many guys this year. I think I've been in the strike zone more. Um, it's been more competitive in that aspect. So I think that's the biggest the biggest jump I made from last year to this year. Tell us about some of the coaches who have worked so closely with you and the message and the impact they've made with you this season. Uh, well, first thing, when it, when we got to spring training and they had, um, they had hired Gabe Rivas, uh, the director of pitching, I think it was more – I didn't get to really uh, meet the new or the old uh, old guys the Tigers had in that position, but Rebus, he was great from day one. He just got a lot of energy, brings a lot of energy um, to the field every day. And then uh, Dan Ricabal and Ollie Katie here in Erie, just each day they have something new for me to work on, something new to try. It's been I've been grateful for them this year. You know, it's really funny that you mentioned Gabe Rebus because we've had the chance to get to know him a little bit this year, and so many different players describe how different an experience has been working with someone like him as opposed to in years past. What has it been? What has Gabe's impact been on you personally this season? From at spring training, like a few little mechanical things here and there, but. Um, and then also like mindset things on the mound, you know, just, just having him being there, being, uh, energetic every day is that's, that's one thing I've kind of, I've kind of tried to be, be a little more like that. And, uh, in that aspect, bringing energy to the field, he's been very helpful. You've got a fun rotation over there in Erie right now. What have you learned about some of those other guys who get the ball on days you're not out there? Yeah, I think uh, last night, especially watching Ty, I think it's funny. He's he's a little more a little more vocal, a little more fiery than me in the in the dugout and during the games. I guess I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of different personalities in the rotation. I don't know. It's just fun to see those guys compete day in and day out. You know, you mentioned all the high energy from somebody like Ty. Does that mean that Reese Olson on the mound is low energy or low intensity? I don't know if it's I don't know if it's low low energy, low intensity. I just uh, there's the way guys act on the mound is different. I think Ty's got a little more of that fiery energy that you see from some guys, whereas I'm a little more quiet into myself in between innings and stuff. Fill in the rest of this sentence for me. The best thing I can do on a baseball field is. Uh, I would say keep my composure. And that's, that's been the big thing for me since I was little playing for my dad when I was nine years old, all the way up through high school until now, just, just trying to be relaxed and keep my composure on the mound. Do you think playing for your dad at such a young age helped you process things a little bit differently or perhaps a little bit more even keel? 
I think my dad was definitely harder on me than, than he was all my teammates. So I think being pushed, pushed a little bit harder and, and having him there to, to coach me through those little things. And, um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just thankful to play for him growing up all the way up until high school for the most part. When it was a situation where you've, you're playing for your dad, you're playing with all your friends, did you understand why he was acting with you the way he was, why he was harder on you? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I understood it as much when I was little, but I do now. It's just him expecting so much out of me, and, and then when I didn't, in certain instances, give it my all or, or seemed like I was trying my best, like, that's when he got on to me the most, so... Now I try to give him my all every day. How much has he continued to be a coach for you? Uh, I think it's it's been less and less over the years. More it's more now just him him just being behind me, supporting me in whatever I need. Less on the less on the baseball side, but him just being there for me whenever I need I need something. And then them, my mom and my dad making the trips up multiple times a year to see me, and then them just showing their support, just knowing they're they're in my corner. I'm very thankful for them. We're talking with Reese Olson here on the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. He's a Detroit Tigers number nine prospect. And the person, if you look at those top 30 rankings, especially on MLB Pipeline, the guy who's your battery mate more often than not, I know he's on the injured list at the moment, but that's Dylan Dingler. He just got ranked and rated as the best defensive catcher in the Eastern League. I'm sure that didn't surprise you whatsoever. Tell me about the relationship that you've been able to put together with Dylan this year. No, I mean, that didn't surprise me even a little bit. Just just game planning with Dingler, and then when we're not on the baseball field, just, just kind of goofing around uh, with him. It's been a lot of fun this year, going a little bit closer with him. But it's just it's just a huge help having a guy like that behind the plate, especially when it comes to to when, when a guy's on base and knowing that they're scared to run on him because more often than not, they're going to get thrown out. So just having that and having knowing he, he's behind the plate with with how much he's grown as well, is, it's been I'm very thankful to have him as a catcher this year. And I'm sure he's a big reason why you guys are so involved in this playoff race you guys are currently in. And we'll get to that in just a minute. What's crazy to me is that when you were traded, the scouting industrial complex, I guess, it was the best way to put it, they were kind of torn on you at that time. Some places didn't have you as a top 30 prospect, and other places, like Fangraphs, for example, had you as a top 10 prospect with Milwaukee. Did you notice that? Uh, I mean, I try not to pay attention to those those type of things as much, but, I mean, you see, like, my brother would send me stuff like that, um, I don't know. Just just try to focus on what you can do and not worry about what everyone else is saying is what I've, what I've tried to do since I've been in pro ball. And clearly that idea has worked for you. I mean, we had Josh Crouch, the catcher at West Michigan, who I would not be surprised if you got the chance to play with before season's end. And he told us that being ranked as a prospect was one of his goals for the season. And for you, not only are you now ranked, but you've had this meteoric rise. How does that feel? Yeah, I mean it's good. It's good to be noticed when you're doing something well, and I'm thankful that um, I've had a good year and kind of put myself on the map a little bit. It's just good to be recognized. Thankful for that, and then thankful for the year, the healthy year that I've had. Do you think getting traded helped put your name out there? Yeah, I think without a doubt. Um, I just think when when your name is in a trade, especially with a major leaguer, it's just your name's out there more. More people see it. More people start noticing you. So. 
Let's talk about strikeouts. The thing about strikeouts, and you've had many of them this year, is that sometimes strikeouts cost extra pitches, and extra pitches means less innings. So tell us about how you've tried to balance all those strikeouts with efficiency. Uh, I, I just, one of the big things I've been working on, um, even last year and leading into this year, is just trying to be more competitive in the zone. And then when I'm, when I'm throwing – when I'm throwing a certain pitch, trying not to make it too perfect or, or too nasty, just just knowing that what I have is probably going to be good enough and just trying to be in the zone more often than not. I mean, if you look, you've already thrown more innings this year than you did last year, and your walk rate has come down significantly. So clearly some things have been working for you in that way. And then in terms of the strikeouts, now as we sit here and talk, 159 punchouts in 115 innings. How much fun is it to be able to go, you know, that, that strikeout rate, that, that's mine. <laughs> that, that belongs to me. I mean, it's cool to look at, especially on the board um, when here they pop they pop up the the league leaders and stats. But I mean, during the game, I don't know. I'm not really worried about strikeouts. I'm just trying to put up zeros. But then after the game, my teammates telling asking me how many strikeouts I had, not knowing, and then them telling me is it's been fun. But I mean, like I said, like I guess the strikeouts have just came with with me competing a little bit more, being more in the zone. But when I'm out there, it's just more about putting up zeros and trying to win. Tell me about that. How, how do you not know how many strikeouts you have at any particular time? I mean, not not in the sense that maybe you don't know, but just kind of take us into just what you're focused on and how focused you are at whatever that particular task at hand is that helps you block everything else out. I just think in during the game, there's so much more that, that goes on than, um, than trying to count my strikeouts for me. Just but if I strike out two guys in an inning, I'm I'm more mad about if I let a guy on base in that inning. So that's what I'm worried about and wondering how I get that guy out the next at bat and trying to figure that out. We're talking to Reese Olsen. Tell me about the season for Erie. How would you tell the story of that season? I mean, it's just been really fun. We've been winning a lot of games. Um, and hopefully we can, we can continue to win this last week and a half and, and make the playoffs here. But, I mean, we just had so many guys, a lot of fun guys in the clubhouse that have also been really good on the field. So I think it's kind of it's kind of easy to play well when you have such a good a good group of guys. Do you feel that difference in the fluctuation of rosters? So many new names and so many new faces have been moving in and out of your locker room. And I know we've seen that at different levels of the system this year, but at the end of the day, it probably helps that you have somebody like a Dylan Dingler behind the plate, somebody who you can build that rapport with. And despite all the other changes going on behind you, there's only so many guys that you're throwing a baseball to, right? Right. Knowing, knowing Dingler's going to be locked in there is for, and he's been here the whole year. It's been, it's been a great help. Just not having to have a catcher to learn um, a new catcher, learn what you do and what you do well um, each start. But I mean, he, all the guys that we've had we've had to come through the clubhouse this year have been awesome guys. There hasn't been a single guy who's been a bad clubhouse guy. So I think when you just have such such good energy in the clubhouse that it makes it makes it fun. And then from there it's easy to win. Talk to me about Gabe Alvarez. He was also rated as the best managerial prospect in the Eastern League. What's it been like playing for Gabe? It's been awesome. I mean, great manager. We have a great great staff as a whole, but Playing for Gabe has just been, it's been fun. He he's a little bit different from the managers I've had in the past. Is more like a little more reserved, but I think I think playing for him, he he's here to win, and you can tell that each and every day in the dugout. 
you've sort of blossomed under that coaching staff this year. And I don't know. I mean, we talked about being kind of the calm, cool, collected out there on the mound. Is it helpful to have somebody in the manager spot that kind of reflects your personality or does that really not matter? I mean, does, does that work for you? Yeah. I mean, I think more so throughout the game, I'm communicating with, with Rico, our pitching coach, but I mean, it's thankful to not have, I'm thankful to not have a manager that's going to blow up on us if I have a bad inning, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's been fun. I know it's been a very good season for your team. You're right there in the thick of the playoff race, but are you satisfied with what this season has become for you? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, I think it's been a successful year for myself, but I mean, obviously there's, there's things that I would still like to be better at and, and can, uh, can try to be better when I move forward next year. But yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for the season I've had. I'm thankful for the health that I've had. And um, what I've learned throughout this year has been, I think it's been a successful year. I know I don't have much time left for this regular season and for whatever the postseason may look like. What's left on your list, on the to-do list, the rest of the way? I think from here I have one more regular season start and then hopefully hopefully we can we can make the playoffs and then from there win, win the championship in the Eastern League. So I guess that's what's left on the plate for me. How much fun has it been this year seeing a couple of the guys that you started the year with making it up to the big leagues? I think about a guy like Kerry Carpenter is one of the first people that come to mind. Yeah, I mean, Kerry was unreal when he was here. It was pretty much every time he came to the plate, he was hitting a double or a home run. So, And the guy that Kerry is, how great of a guy he is, I'm, I'm very happy for him. He's made his way up to the major leagues. I would not be surprised in the slightest if you would be being mentioned in a similar way in the not-too-distant future. Reese Olson, can't thank you enough for spending some time with us here on the Road to Detroit podcast. Congratulations on a great season. Best of luck in whatever is left for you here in 2022 on the mound. And thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. That is Reese Olson. He is certainly on the Road to Detroit. It's now time for the road ahead. Erie and Toledo. It's the only games left in town. Lakeland and West Michigan seasons are done. The Seawolves will battle to try to get into the playoffs. They face Richmond. They are the fighting squirrels for six games to conclude their season. Usually just run them over with a car. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Is that not okay? Is that going to get cut? All right. And Toledo, they travel to Indianapolis to face the Indians for a six-game set. If they're in the air, they're flying. How am I going to run them over? (laughs) So that's a look at the road ahead. And now we spend our last couple of shows here this season on RTD really honing in and focusing on those high levels of the minor league system. We look closely at Toledo. We'll look closely at Erie, dive into everything that's made their seasons a success this year. This is the first year that we've done this Road to Detroit podcast where every single level of the Tigers minor league full season affiliates all had winning records. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think the influence we saw come in last year in player development has been a big reason why. And now we keep them crossed that whether it be Toledo or presumably Erie will be able to have its season continue just a little bit longer. Regardless, we'll have a lot to talk about going into next week here on the road to Detroit. So if you haven't done it yet, don't miss your last opportunity. Go down, rate the show five stars, because we're like Uber drivers. It's either five stars or don't do it at all.
We got a couple of great reviews last week as well. Thank you very much for those of you who have been willing to leave those. If you haven't yet, this is a way that you can leave feedback for our show. We read these. We change how we do the show based on what you want, based on what you're looking for. And we only have a couple of episodes left, so make sure you go in, leave a review, leave a rating as well, because that is the singular best way you can guarantee that this show will be back next season. You know, somebody actually said last week that Nate Wangler is a fresh face representing the future of broadcasting. Not a fresh face, but maybe the future of broadcasting. (laughs) I was going to say, I know I'm not a fresh face, so at least we know that someone here is one. But thank you to all of you who leave feedback, who leave ratings, who leave reviews for The Road to Detroit. And that's going to do it. That's another episode of the RTD presented by Carhartt. We're back for another episode next week. For our producer, Nate Wangler, I'm Dan Hasty, And until next time. See ya! No one's been part of more first days of work than Carhartt. And in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect, Carhartt never stops earning the respect of hardworking people like you. From building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work, to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future. Trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you.